0: Hi, I'm Deb Crow, and welcome to season two of the Heart Centered Leadership Podcast. This is a podcast where we connect, learn, and laugh together with strong leaders from all over the globe. Here, you will learn from peers you haven't even met yet. You will gain new tools to add to your leadership toolbox. Because whether you're a C-suite executive or a first-time entrepreneur, we all contend with challenges, and there's always room for improvement if we choose to seek it. So please pull up a chair and listen in. This is the Heart Centered Leadership Podcast. Welcome back to Imperfect, the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. You know, I I often get an email or a phone call from a colleague or a client that says, you really should have this person on the show and, and they'll tell me a little bit about it. And that's exactly what happened with my guest today. So let me introduce you to Duncan So. He's an expert in workplace well-being, which is so my wheelhouse and I'm so excited to talk to him, but he really specializes on what he frames as burnout recovery and delivering clinical burnout. He has retreat experiences to help workplace leaders quickly recover from burnout and regain their empowerment in themselves and in their careers. Having been a child of corporate burnout, it has led him into this professional space, which he alludes to as human flourishing. He's a social entrepreneur. He's a graduate from UFT in engineering. He is a board certified master practitioner of NLP, and we are just going to have the best conversation ever. Duncan So, welcome to the show.
1: Now, thank you for having me. This is going to be so exciting.
0: Well, shout out to Dana Shuto for putting us together. She is one (laughs) of my most favorite human beings pursuing her PhD, so we got to give her a little love. You know, we chatted briefly about being on the show, and it was such a serendipitous moment for me. And it's interesting how we both had professional careers and then landed in the space of helping others. And there is that line of serendipity. So my first leadership question today is, do you feel... And have you observed a heightened state of burnout due to the pandemic? Or do you think we were on route to get to where we are putting COVID aside?
1: Before the pandemic, you I mean, it's kind of funny. There's a group called Gallup poll out there that, and I call them the grandparents of uh, workplace engagement because they started you know, that sort of engagement process you know, nearly almost two decades ago, which you know, brought together really you know, this whole talent, the, the alignment of talent uh, for HR to bring engagement as a vehicle to measure that. And in 2018, 17, 18, Gallup decided to change their narrative and double down and started to do reporting on burnout. And at that time, it was already hovering around 40%. So 40% in all of in their statistical research uh, and polling uh, recognized 40% of people in workplaces were struggling with burnout, and millennials were just slightly a little bit higher from that, hovering around 50 60%. And so that was 2018, which, you know, at that time, I didn't even have a burnout clinic In the beginning of that time. I ran a school. I was working with the United Nations, the World Economic Forum, and I had a school in Ghana helping uh, young leaders to empower their communities. And so, you know, part of that deep work, uh, we do a lot of trauma work, like clearing traumas and making sure that they're fully empowered and equipped. So as leaders, when they uh, go embark on a, a mission-based career, that it comes from a place of centeredness and aligned to joy and passion. And, you know, what we might call the performance-based emotions, or uh, if you're a huge fan of polyvagal science, like up into that connection, those connection emotions where you can tap into your, you know, your heightened states and creativity. And so you can imagine if you're a change maker, especially for these communities, and even you know, all across the world, if you have baggage, uh, whether they're suppressed emotions and our conflicts or destructive beliefs aligned with sort of a, a big mission trying to solve, it can be very, very energy draining. And so in the school, it was our third cohort. I started to do a lot more of this intervention work. I mean, in private practice, obviously, I'm a practitioner of neuro-linguistic programming, but as a school it's a little bit difficult. And so my wife and I, so she is my co-founder of the Burnout Clinic at that time, decided to, and I asked her, she's an empowerment coach as well, works specifically with women, around work-life harmony and imposter syndrome. So that was sort of her thing. And I asked each other, I'm like, you know, should, do you want to do this? Are you experiencing more of these challenges? You know, we may label it as burnout. We can definitely go with more specifics for what that really means, that are experiencing like more fatigue and exhaustion and, and being hyper vigilant all the time, working with your clients. And we're like, yeah. And, and she was also applying a lot of the, not the change work from a positive direction, but the change work from stopping the bleed perspective. And that was sort of our, our genesis story of, huh, you know, all the stars are aligned at the systems level. Uh, burnout seems to be a growing problem. This is pre-pandemic. How can we do something more socially innovative? You know, we lived in Liberty Village at that time, so we were really close to CAMH and had asked each other, do we want to open up like a clinic clinic? We decided to opt out of it because it didn't align to sort of who we were. We want to express where, where we were most passionate with. And so calling sort of my HR network, I asked them, like, you know, are you having conversations on mental health in the workplace? Are you having conversations on burnout? And it was clear at that time, 2018, 19, it was a no. And the closest thing that we could have, have a conversation on if it was whether with a stay interview or an exit interview or just a conversation with HR is uh, utilize your vacation. And so that's where, you know, our initial work was born was, okay, let's combine deep clinical work with vacations to really change the narrative, sort of destigmatize this conversation on mental health and move into what we call the path of least resistance, which is let's take a vacation when you come home, whether you share it or not, that you've gone through some sort of therapeutic intervention, that you've cleared all of the baggage, all of that weight within your nervous your neurology and gained that extra bandwidth mentally and emotionally to not just proceed uh, with your day-to-day but have a completely clear outlook with where you want to go in your career and in all areas of your life and so you know that's sort of the, the the fundamentals of what we do at the clinic and the pandemic hit and there was it's a challenge because that was a pattern interrupt for everybody more specifically hr now i think the latest stats on hr is 98 percent of hr is experiencing burnout so forget The workplace, I think the latest studies out of Kitchener-Waterloo from the YMCA WorkWell Group, the latest research came around 75% workplaces experiencing burnout. And so you can imagine we went from like 40% all the way to 75%. I know we're going through this post-pandemic-ish recovery process, but you know you can expect probably for the next you know, three to five years, if not the next decade, for us to not just renormalize, but to understand what it means to renormalize and bring in you know, completely new thinking and practices, especially around the idea of well-being and performance and breaking through hustle culture into more of how can we integrate both hustle and flow into our lives so, you know, a lot of future work conversations around what this looks like. And, and yes, the, the stats are, are a little bit appalling, but it's not out of the ordinary because we know from a mental, emotional standpoint, if you move into crisis management, you move into high anxiety, you have no end of the light of tunnel, then the sort of the next path towards that is exhibiting all of the indicators of burnout and, you know, moving to 2022, 23 for companies who are a little bit lagged behind and know they're starting in this area, will begin to experience what we call workplace PTSD or trauma. That will happen. And, and that's where prevention, like it's clearly not about prevention anymore and just recovery, but how do we become more trauma informed and making sure we have, you know, partners and experts in the space to really support releasing the trauma, uh, not just from the mental emotional side, but from our nervous system, right? Because we want to get people to uh, re-regulate, rebalance and thrive in life, right? We don't want people to live with these traumas and just survive and cope through life. So these are a lot of these big conversations in the mental health space that I feel is going to be pretty predominant in the next three to five years.
0: It's so interesting to listen to you because I finally feel like I'm, I'm on the same wavelength. You know, I left the case management space 12 years ago when I got into coaching and I shared with you, I got into coaching, never thought I'd get into coaching because I lost five executives and what started as a short term disability claim for stress. Progress to a long-term disability claim, to a diagnosis of palliative, and then sitting with five people who I lost in 10 months and sharing that space of hypervigilance. And I remember saying to myself, this has to stop. And here we are 12 years later, the influx of a pandemic of two years, And then I think about all the other things globally falling off of that. I look at the divorce rate. I look at the use of drugs, the suicide rate, the war we have going on. And then like, let's deflate the elephant. How about inflation because of all the other things we've already talked about? It's beyond the word coping. I don't even know. It's, it's the depths of despair on so many social economic and psychosocial levels. So I'm so happy that Dana connected us and we're having this conversation because so many listeners are going to resonate with this. We're in 45 countries and this is a global community feeling that we're talking about today. So on that note, let's lighten this up just a wee bit. My next question, everyone has got on the podcast. Close to 180 leaders have answered this question. It will always have permanent residency because I love the question. What imperfections do you bring to your heart-centered
1: leadership? Oh man, so I love this because I think one of the big lessons, and and I'll throw in burnout again, right? Because, you know, in, in a perfect segue to it, a lot of people who go through burnout and myself included, I burnt out. There was no label for burnout that time. I literally plucked out my right eyebrow. Uh, out of stress I did what's called stress pl- like stress habits right so I would uh, pluck on my eyebrow and learning to be more human so you know well, I'll use the words imperfect and perfect right a lot of us when we try to control things and I say this as, a, as an engineer as a computer engineer you know if you industrialize the world is one thing because you know measuring life from an economic lens that makes sense but we lose a lot of the human components of it and so my journey coming out of burnout and even in You know, know, as I join a lot of leaders in this space that, you know, really want to bring the science behind what flourishing and thriving, you know, these fancy words that we hear all the time, what it means, learning to be human is interesting because you begin to not just intellectually learn, but integrate that we have so many dimensions as human beings. There's the mental component. And I think, you know, that's a clear one, right? Because a lot of us go to school, we think it's about intelligence, but it's not about the conscious mind, about how intelligent we are, about the unconscious mind, Right. You know what things happen. What things happen, like not just you know in the biohacking world where we want to be peak performers, but you know what beliefs we have that are very self-sabotaging. And you know from the, the imperfection world or the perfection imperfection world, you know, there's a lot when it comes to destructive beliefs. And this usually comes onset early on as children, and you can tell how the influence of parenting hits us as well. as I'm not enough. I'm not loved. I don't deserve this. Right. So you can imagine, right? I'm not worthy. So at a very deep, profound level, as we uncover going through, using NLP to uncover uh, the deep root causes of beliefs that drive us to do compulsive behaviors, especially in burnout, right? We, if you're an A-achiever, you're an executive, you go, 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 and you think it's all this intellectual stuff, like also time management, it's a boundary setting, it's all these different things. You start to realize as you go deeper into it, when they know what behaviors they have that are sucking their energy drive, and even though they know they need to set boundaries and they still compulsively go through it, it's these really deep-rooted beliefs, and it's usually you know in your in your childhood because a lot of parents, you know, especially modern-day kids. I know Debbie alluded to divorce rates and all these different things. You know, a lot of us aren't whole, and that's normal, right? That's the imperfect piece of it. And the journey, the challenge, really is, you know, how do you start to move and move towards more wholeness? That is the healing journey, right? And so, why I appreciate burnout. And it's a funny thing because you can attest, all clients coming out of burnout, I ask, you know, their lessons, and a big part of our work, you know, at the unconscious level is to make sure that you learn the lessons so that you don't recreate the same things over again, right? And that's sort of a human journey. And they look back because as they go through this transformation and what makes this process unique is there is a transcendental component to it. They start to begin to experience things not just from a mental, emotional level, but a relationship to the spiritual level. I'm talking about the definition, the metaphoric definition of burnout, which is you feel like there's an inner flame that's been extinguished, right? As that flame ignites again, the first part will be like, oh, is this a mental thing? Is this an emotional thing? And there is a third dimension. There's a spiritual thing as well as part of this. And this is you know, what we call this whole great resignation, right? We always hear, I want to do something that gives me meaning in my life. But even though you're a high achiever, you hit success, right? You know, my last client, I mean, in terms of dollars and figures, you know, hit that like moving eight, eight figures success. Like it's not, it's, it's, it's really big, but at the same time ask these questions, like I will want to continue this, but I can't see myself doing this for the next 10 years. And so it's that missing piece of connecting that spiritual component. And what's really powerful about this is the imperfectionness and the healingness, we begin to integrate and experience spiritual, mental, emotional, physical, all four, all four bodies and not just through some sort of I'm learning this through a textbook or I'm learning through a facilitator is I can actually palpably experience this in my life. And when that spiritual comes in, that energy comes in, the mental, the cognitive side opens up, the creativity opens up, the flow opens up, the emotions. You know, we're in 2022 and we're still trying to understand happiness and meaning and joy, right? You have psychologists talking about don't passion is overrated right it's like well true but it's in us it's innate we can connect to it it's not something you follow or find or whatever it's innate if you clear out your baggage it opens up right emotionally and ultimately at the end because we're so hustle culture today is when you align your spiritual mental emotional the outcomes that come out of physical actualization component is just magical. And so today's big narrative, when I talk to HR leaders and even senior executives around the idea of well-being in the workplace, is when you combine well-being and performance, and when people are alive, right? And I'm not talking about just the workplace, I'm talking to entrepreneurs out there as well, right? Is you can then create something so deep and profound and meaningful that it's not just rewarding internally, it has a huge extrinsic reward factor it's kind of almost inexplainable but it's if you talk to any high achiever a person who's not just hitting all their goals but have everything together quote unquote always talk about one it's always imperfect we lean into it we're human beings but it's this growing journey this learning journey when you have all these dimensions turned on just makes life so much more magical and that's where we move from jobs to careers to what i almost call the calling work right you know, I can look back on my day-to-day life, my career, my health, my family, my relationships, all these cylinders rolling in really small ways. And as they become habitual, I look back and you just have this, I have no regrets in life, right? So why are we waiting for us, you know, traditionally to wait until it's the last hour on our deathbed to have an awakening moment when we can have it early on and have the practical tools, evidence-based practical tools to get us there. And that's where I'm really excited because then you can really have that yin and yang understanding of perfection and imperfection integrated to just realize the beauty of being a human being.
0: Absolutely. I think that is probably the most detailed answer I've ever had for that question. Now, my next question, I had this all ready to go, and then I wanted to pull up and preface it by a tweet this week by Adam Grant, because I thought this is going to lead in beautifully to my question. Adam Grant did a tweet this week that just made me jump for joy. This is what he said, quote, vacations and perks aren't cures for exhaustion. They're temporary bandages to stop the bleeding. The first principle of fighting burnout is to reduce demands. Stop overloading teams with stressful tasks and expecting one person to do multiple jobs. After I did the happy dance, I hit reply and I said, beautifully said, short-term disability claims accompany the bandages and make the employer look that they are focused on employees returning to work. Let's rip the Band-Aid off and revisit the culture and the leadership. So my question to you is, give us one strategy, whether it's to an HR leader, a manager. Let's not get caught up in stature and title. Talk about one strategy to look at recovery versus prevention.
1: We are human beings. So this specific framework is be, do, have. And so most of us have it backwards, right? And I'll share with you the backwards approach and why we're trying to prevent something that we aren't preventing because burnout's a little bit of an interesting one. To say. It hits something that's a little bit more profound and deep, but most of us walk through life with the idea of having stuff, right? And, and this is pretty straightforward. We go to school, we want to have the high grades, we want to have a car, we want to have money, a picket fence, you know, all that type of stuff, right? So, you know, we move through most of industrialization with this notion of having. As an engineer, I can speak to that because it's the most tangible, right? You want to measure it and you can have it, and touch and feel it. And so to have things, the idea is you just do. So you have a have and a do sequence. And so you begin as a human having, set a goal, smart goal, to a human doing to achieve that. Now I speak on both sides of it because you'll have some people who are successful at having things by doing, but they're unhappy, right? And this is, I I call it out to the high achievers out there, the executives, the C-levels, people performing, whether you're an athlete or you're a professional, you're a doctor, you're a lawyer, you're an engineer, whatever it is. You know, you are successful at what you're doing because you're good at what we call this perpetual have-do loop. Now, on the flip side of it is there's also people who want to have things, but they're not good at doing. So the have-do loop is a, a challenge because, you know, this is what we call back in the day. We called it the grind, right? We called it the rat race. Now, the funny thing is nobody really broke it down and thought, you know, that's just part of life, right? That's just part of how it should be. By the way, the being side of it, the human being side of it, it's completely out of the equation. And so today, you know, the modern language, we call it the hustle culture, right? Now, I say this very clearly as an engineer, by the way. So this is my hat off as a clinician, my hat's off as a systems change leader. I say this very specifically as a computer engineer. And there's a Netflix documentary that goes with it called The Social Dilemma, is we've amplified... This have doing loop with our technology using dopamine, right? Using our our biochemical relationship, that get us trapped in this. And because of an amplification, it accelerates the challenge that we get from a mental, emotional standpoint, because from an industrial standpoint, as an engineer, if we continue to treat humans like tools, like computers, like an industrial process, we very quickly realize that, you know, as we follow Moore's law and everything is doubling, humans don't double that way. And so the framework is very simple, is one, recognize that the being part of it's very important. So what's being, right? Being is your values, things are important to you, your emotions, your mental state, not just from a cognitive standpoint, but from a creative standpoint. And how that relates to things like meaning, fulfillment, purpose, happiness, joy, passion, right? These are all the higher level states of being that we always talk about. Versus when you're in your doing and having loop, guess what? You're in a survival mode. While it can get you to the next day. You'll hear emotions like anger, depression, anxiety, and all these things that separate us. And while they're not good or bad emotions, those emotions that we sometimes deem as negative emotions are only indicators of helping us understand that as as human beings, as leaders, are things that we don't want. Right. That's clear. Now it's good because, you know, the first part of it is understanding what we don't want. And I think most people stuck in this do have loop are really, really good at understanding what we don't want. If you look at our entire entire legal system, they're all laws tell us what not to do. But there is no instruction manual that tells us what to do. Right. So the telling us what to do piece is not can be a cognitive process, but more importantly, connects us to the human processes of beingness. And so for leaders out there, for HR leaders out there, for human beings out there is, as a simple framework, one, we have to resequence it. One is to acknowledge that beingness exists. These are all the feel-good emotions that we get, clear indicator, and that the sequence is be first, then do, then have, right? And so this is, and for HR who's in the diversity and inclusion, because that's a huge priority right now for organizations, this is the secret sauce, by the way, to the path towards belonging, right? There's diversity, inclusion, journey to get there. Ultimately, you ask, what's the end goal, right? If you want to be a little bit more performance-based is we want to create this idea of authenticity, beingness, and belonging in the workplace. And you have to understand there's a being component to it. It's not checklist where you checkbox off the stand-aid solutions, the ping pong tables, the yoga classes, the gym memberships, even giving time for vacations, right? Here is a good indicator of when you know vacation is a band-aid. If you need to go on vacation for recovery, that is a doing-having loop. If you go on a vacation to genuinely be and grow, that is a being loop. And so, you know, just to even reframe or, or, or change the narrative of vacations, if you're already going on vacations just to get rest and relaxation, something's already off as a behavioral pattern inside, right? If you're going on vacations because it helps you to be better human beings, you want to learn something, you want to grow somewhere, you want to do something differently. And so as a indicator for HR leaders who want to understand the psychology of vacations is not a rest and recovery process. It's something that helps us to, you know, expand ourselves, be more creative, be more explorative and experience different parts of the world. I knew
0: this was going to be a deep dive conversation. So I'm going to truncate to end this on a positive note, because I want to ask you a couple of fun questions before we close out the show. I'm going to ask you to tell us one thing that we don't know
1: about you. I went through a spiritual awakening process during the time of trying to figure out sort of the solution of burnout. It was a time of E. love. This is the time of Julia Roberts doing an E. pray, love movie. And you may fly yourselves to the hilltops of Machu Picchu and hope for a, a god experience. As I gone through this process, knowing what I don't know, was when you connect that spiritual component, life changes in such a deep and profound way that I can't explain other than something you have to experience yourself. And on a positive note, for those who are listening to this and are experiencing burnout. I want to say, even though as painful as it is, if you ask anybody that's successfully gone through a properly public process of burnout. Will look back and be like, my life trans- has transformed in such a deep and transformational way that I can't explain because I found, not through teaching, not through reading a book, not through a podcast, not through all these external factors, but to something deep inside that I've shut off, I've, I've unacknowledged for such a long period of time that refinding that is such a life changing experience. Burnout's not a bad thing. It is an indicator that you're on a path. What I would like to say in my words, you know, today we call it the great resignation, but I call it a great reawakening. It is an opportunity for you to awaken something deep inside of you that's been screaming and dead, by the way, that instantly, very quickly, when you turn that on, can just transform your life and And so quickly too, in such a profound and powerful way that when you look back, you'll begin to connect on a level that you haven't connected on before and be on that starting point of what it means to live a happy and fulfilling life.
0: Absolutely. So before I ask you my last question, I'm going to have you finish a sentence for me. I knew this was going to be an engaging, informative conversation. So thanks for sharing your time and your expertise and a little bit of your heart and always intersecting your belief and sharing. You know, you, you have that analytical engineer mind that's so beautifully aligned with IQ that you just bring so much grace and empowerment to the work that you're doing with the burnout clinic so thank you for being on the show today and i'm gonna have you close the show out by finishing this sentence for me heart-centered leadership is being you you've been listening to the heart-centered leadership podcast i'm deb crow if you like what you heard today please rate and review the show And I'd love it if you'd visit my website at debcrow.com where you can sign up for my newsletter and get access to the Heart Centered Leadership Toolkit, all free of charge. Thanks for your time, and we'll see you again.